Last week, we began a teaching series for four weeks called Basecamp. And for those of you who weren't here last week, let me just give a brief introduction to what we talked about. Our hope is that, that this will not just be a, a teaching series that we pass through and, and forget, but that what we introduce and for many of us review will, will be a, a significant catalyst in your journey of engaging God personally in your life. Or probably better said, allowing God to get, engage you more significantly in your personal life. So uh, it's, it's been fascinating for me. The last week, both Dave and I have received many, many uh, items of feedback from some of you in here, some in Renew, saying this is exactly what I need right now in my journey. So that's affirming. And uh, so uh, hopefully we won't uh, be doing the fire hose thing as we teach this, but we'll, we'll drip it along in ways that uh, can, you can process. Uh, so first of all, what is base camp? Well, base camp simply is a, a, a way of, of saying, uh, of talking about regular, systematic, by regular we mean daily, as, as daily as possible, systematic time with God personal practices that help develop a robust faith in and for real life. That's what it's all about. Just some personal practices centered around two things, two very simple things, Bible reading personally and prayer. Not hearing somebody talk about the Bible, but engaging personally in the Bible. And uh, so after the service in traditions here, and Renew has already uh, participated in this, we're going to do a survey of, uh, of your current pattern for everybody. And we'll take it and we'll We'll just uh, see what your current pattern is, anonymous. We just want to, we just want to do a, a survey as to where we're at. And uh, the goal is to maybe give ourselves to three to four times a week, um, 15 minutes. By the way, first of all, remember, base camp practices are not the measure of our spirituality. They're a key means of growing in our journey with God if we do them well. Okay, so not, they don't, we're not measuring our spirituality. We're we're talking about some means to grow in our relationship with God. So basic structure, 15 minutes to start with, maybe 10, uh, two minutes of focusing prayer, eight minutes of actually reading the text of the Bible, and five minutes of, of concerted prayer. Today in our teaching, Sid Coop, our, uh, our youth ministry, well, we're calling him our youth ministry architect. Youth, uh, Sid lives in Kelowna. Come on up, Sid. And uh, lives in Kelowna, and he is uh, working with and overseeing our youth leaders in a development kind of way and a, and a programming kind of way. And he's going to take us a little deeper into that second part of it, reading the Bible. In other words, he's going to talk about how to engage God's life-giving word. Sid, thank you it. so much for being with us this weekend. Thank you so much, And Mel. God bless you as you teach this morning. Thank you. This is a, man, what a privilege. Mel, thank you so much for the privilege of allowing me to be here and um, for the opportunity. Mel, I think you're running away, by the way, with the um, remote control. So I'm going to steal you that right it. back from you. Now, you're welcome to run that from down there. I am only here to serve and to submit to your leadership. So if it's like, woo, we got to get off that slide, boom, Mel's going to move us there. I like it. That's great. Um, this is a, it, it's, it's, always, um, it's always a privilege and an honor uh, to be here at Elergy Road. This has quickly become uh, my second home church. I just want you to know that. And again, um, 
Whether I'm allowed to say it or not, I've now moved to position of saying, like, I'm a part of your staff. So, Mel, I just want you to know that word's kind of out there a little bit, and you may want to put out a post that says, whoa, whoa, not so sure, but I've embraced it. So whether you like it or not, I'm in. Just to let you know, uh, this has been great. So this weekend I was at what used to be called the Breakforth Conference, is now called One Conferences, and was serving there and had the great opportunity to just kind of speak as um, someone who was inviting everyone else to come to, like, my place, Edmonton. This is my place. And let me just tell you, this is a very refreshing place at this time of year. There's no doubt about that. Very, very refreshing. And, uh, and I like it. I think it's been wonderful. Um, so when I started uh, youth pastoring after I'd finished my time at Briarcrest, I went to Canmore, um, Alberta. That's where I began. And, uh, and really enjoyed my first few years there. It was an interesting experience. They'd never had a youth pastor before. It was a small church. And so it was a fun place to be in. And there was lots of things I loved about it. But one of the things I really enjoyed about it were the activities that I got to be involved in. And um, one of the activities that I started once I got there was snowboarding. Now, I was much younger back then, so that was a much, um, what would I say, an, uh, an activity that I could engage in with less fear than I do now. Let me be very clear on that. But I remember when I came, I, um, I had never, like I'd never been skiing before. Uh, well, not, I'd been skiing twice, to be honest with you, but both of those times were in Saskatchewan. That doesn't really count. So, uh, so I remember when I came, and, and I wanted to engage the community, and so I wanted to begin to snowboard. I'd never done it before, and I had this gentleman that met me, and he said, Sid, I'm going to teach you how to snowboard. And I thought, this is wonderful. I have my own instructor. This is going to be great. So I remember the very first day that um, Lake Louise opened up, and I had the snowboard. I had, I had the gear and the stuff that I needed, and we went up to the hill, and we got to the top of the chairlift, came off, and I'm strapping on my board, and I thought to myself, this is wonderful. You're going to teach me. And I remember he looked at me and he said, well, see at the bottom of the hill, boom, and he took off. And I thought, that is such a unique way to teach. Like I'd, I'd never really looked at teaching in that, in that kind of a format. And so I remember getting up on my snowboard and thinking to myself, I can make it down this hill, but had no idea. Number one, how long it was going to take me to get down that hill. And number two, how much of the hill my body would actually come in contact with as I tried to go down that hill. So that very first day was, was just a lot of pain. I would get up and fall down, up, down, up, down. I just, I fell down the hill. That's really what I did is I just fell right down the hill. Now, it was interesting, by the afternoon, I found myself beginning to what at first I thought was improving. And by improving, I mean I was able to actually stay on my snowboard a little longer. Um, but all that meant is that I was moving faster when I fell down. So it, it kind of hurt more. So I would get up, I'd go a little farther, boom, fall down. That would hurt a lot. And I remember when the day was over, I went back to my apartment, went to sleep. The next morning I tried to get up. And for any of you, if any of you have ever um, attempted to learn how to snowboard, or if you haven't, but you have kids who have, you should ask them what the first morning after the first day of snowboarding is like. It's hard to move, literally hard to move. And so I remember working myself out of bed, slowly getting my body functional. And then I thought to myself, hey, I should try that again. So we went back up to the hill again. 
a little bit of a masochist, went back up to the hill again. And here's what was really interesting. What I found was that day two was actually significantly better than day one when it came to snowboarding. By day two, I began to be able to stand on my snowboard quite well. By the afternoon, I was able to begin to carve a little bit and even stop, which is excellent when you're on a mountain. That's a really good skill to master. And so day two ended, and I thought, this is kind of, this, this is pretty good. And so then I went up again day three, but I had a job. And so I thought I should actually do my job so I got one of my students out of school, took them with me, and we went to day three. So this began day three. By the way, just to be really clear, um, skiing and snowboarding is a great evangelism tool. Like, you get them on that chair, and they are going nowhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, nowhere. We're on the chair, and away we go. And if they want to, like, get away, they can try, but then they'll meet Jesus face to face, and so that's going to be wonderful. So we win both ways. It's excellent. So day three, we get on the hill, and we begin to go down the hill, and now it's, now it's actually become fun. So now I'm moving quickly. I can carve, I can stop. We start to go in these things called moguls, so you're jumping a little bit. And I remember at the end of the day three, I just went, wow, this has been a great experience. And here's what I thought to myself. Snowboarding is so interesting because when it comes to snowboarding, um, every day for the first while is actually significantly better than the day before. It just keeps getting better and better. Now, I grew up in a really small town in Alcor, Manitoba, and we would do church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, sometimes youth on Friday. But when we would gather, especially on Wednesday night, we used to sing hymns. Do you remember that hymn, Every Day with Jesus is Sweeter Than the Day Before? Remember that one? We used to sing that one? Wouldn't it be nice if that were true? Wouldn't it be nice if every day with Jesus was actually sweeter than the day before? I mean, our days with Jesus are very, very good. Very, very good. Uh, Immeasurably better than we can imagine. But if we're really honest, there are some days with Jesus that aren't sweeter than the day before. The day that you go to the doctor's office and you receive a report that you weren't expecting to receive. That day, I've been in those days. Those days with Jesus don't always feel sweeter than the day before. Or what about the day that you make that mistake that that you thought you'd kind of conquered And you wouldn't act that way again. You wouldn't respond that way again. You said you wouldn't do that again. That day, even with Jesus, is not necessarily sweeter than the day before. There are many days in our journey with Jesus as followers of Christ that are not sweeter than the day before. So then the question becomes, what do we do with days like that? How do we respond to seasons like that? How do we respond when there's parts of ourselves that seem to consistently move away from being better than the day before? What do we do? In Psalm chapter 19, David speaks to this idea. And listen to what David says in Psalm 19 verse 7. He says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. I love that word. I'm so thankful that David would say that the law of the Lord is perfect and it revived the soul because what it means is that David understands there are seasons when our souls need reviving, correct? There's just seasons when we go, man, I don't know if I can get up. I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know why the same things keep happening again. There must be more to this. And David comes to us in those seasons and he says there is a way for us to be renewed, for us to be recreated, 
for us to be restored, refocused. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Do you hear what David says? He acknowledges the reality that there are going to be seasons that are very difficult. There are going to be seasons when we see ourselves as less than perfect, much less than perfect, with much need for growth and renewal and restoration. And he says, I get that. That makes sense to me. And then he says, we are not without hope. There is a place that we can go where we can be restored, where we can move to wholeness, where we can be renewed, where our souls can be revived. And it's God's word. Do you hear that? It's God's word. Isn't this amazing that we have a God who has come to us and revealed himself to us and given us a way to know him, engage him, be engaged by him, be renewed by him? He has revealed himself to us and he's done it through his word. I just think that's so beautiful. What a gift is that? So then the question I begin to ask is how can we experience God's word as renewing? Do you know what I mean? Because there's plenty of times when we don't experience God's word as renewing. Isn't that true? I mean, it's interesting what David does here. Listen to what David says. He says that, that more to be desired, and he's speaking about God's word, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. He's like, are you kidding me? God's word is like dessert. This is the best stuff that we can get to. I can't wait to get to God's word. Now, we rarely speak of time in God's word as dessert. Isn't that true? We usually call it discipline. That seems very different than dessert. That sounds like Brussels sprouts to me. That's what that sounds like to me. Okay, that's discipline. For my boys, we're going to eat the vegetables. This is discipline. This is not dessert. Two very different things. But David says that when you really understand God's word... And when you come to it with the right disposition, it becomes sweet to the soul. It becomes like the life-giving transformation. It becomes the treasure more precious than gold. The greatest treasure revives our soul. Okay, so how do we do that? How can we experience God's word as life-giving, as reviving of the soul? Quickly, let me give you three dispositions that I think we need to take, and I think the scripture points to, if we're going to experience God's word as life-giving, as reviving, if we can come to a place where base camp, the place that you go to, to be restored and renewed, not simply to stay, but so that we can carry on in the journey that God's called us to, so it can be, can be re-energized, revived, renewed, so that we can continue to move into what God would have for us beyond that moment, Okay. What kind of disposition do we need to have entering into this space in order to experience God's word as reviving? Let me give you three. Here's the first. I think that if we're going to experience God's word as life-giving, number one, we need to approach God's word with humility. There needs to be a disposition that says we are not the center of the universe. We are not the authority 
on things of right or wrong, morality, and not just morality or laws, but even deeper than that, that there needs to be a type of humility that says, I am not the authority even on my own identity. This is not me. I am not at the middle. Something else is at the center. And what God says is he says it's his word. This is the authority. This is the rule, the straight edge, the defining of reality. This is what both tells us how we should live and creates the lens to understand how things are and where they should be. Listen to what he says. Listen to the words he uses to define his word. He says the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. He's saying this is an objective reality. That is true, that is solid, that we can count on, that is definitive, it's defining, it is. It simply is. It doesn't matter what our race, it doesn't matter what point in history we are speaking of, it doesn't matter who the person is or the situation that's engaging the word, it is true. It is objectively true. This is so hard for us in our culture, isn't it? There's nothing in our culture that affirms something outside of ourselves as being objectively true. Our culture says over and over again that we personally are the definers of our truth. That it comes from within. And I think that this may be the very foundation of the epidemic of anxiety that our young people face today. Because we weren't created to be the center of truth. We weren't designed to handle and carry that burden of authority. It's not in us. It's outside of us. It's in the one who created us and the one who loves us. He is the center of truth. And he has given us his truth through the word. We don't create ourselves. We discover who we have been created to be. We don't define what is right or wrong. We discover what is right or wrong, and we submit to that reality. You know, it's really interesting when I talk with young people. One of the number one questions that they tend to ask when it comes to Scripture is, what does this mean to me? Now, I think that phrase, what does this mean to me, when it comes to understanding Scripture, is a helpful phrase. But it shouldn't be the first phrase or the first question. The first question when it comes to Scripture is not what does this mean to me. The first question is what does this mean? What is God saying? God has given us His Word and it is true and it is sure and it is right and it is pure. And He actually wants us to understand what He's saying. First and foremost, He doesn't really care what it means to you. He cares what it means and He wants us to discover that truth. Isn't that right? Don't we as parents understand that? Don't we get that? I mean, when we speak to our kids, we're trying to give them information that we want them to understand, right? So when it's late at night, and my young son is crabby, and he's angry, and he doesn't want to listen, and I say to him, son, it's time for you to go to bed. Go to bed. It's not cool to me that he heads off to the fridge and grabs a Coke. Like, that doesn't really work in that moment. I go, son, what are you doing? Hey, Dad, when you said to me, go to bed, what that means to me is I should go have another Coke. That's not what that means. 
I don't care what it means to you. I want you to know what it means. I'm trying to give you an instruction and a direction, and I need you to understand it, and I need you to follow it. Why? Because that's where life is. You're not revived going there. You're revived going there. That's life. And so when we begin to understand this, it changes how we kind of come to the Scriptures. You know, I remember working with, my, um, with one of my students, and his name was Thomas. And when we, would, um, when we would go out to do Bible study in the mornings before school, I used to ask him the question. I said, hey, Thomas, how has God's Word applied to your life over the last week? And Thomas would always kind of be, you know what, Sid? That's kind of a weird question. And I go, tell me about that. He goes, well, I'm like reading. I'm trying to get through the Bible or whatever. I'm in the Old Testament. And he goes like, this week I've been snowboarding. And I got to tell you, the Bible doesn't say a lot about snowboarding. I'm like, that's a fair point. Fair point. True. And then I realized I was actually asking Thomas the wrong question. Did you notice? I kind of placed him at the center. And I said, how has God's word applied to your life? And instead, I started asking him the question, hey, Thomas, how have you applied your life to God's word this week? Oh, that's different. So when you're snowboarding, how are you shaping that around the objective center of Christ in his word? How does that reshape who you are and how you're responding and how you're acting in these different spaces and environments? Now all of a sudden there's something very relevant that's taking place through the scriptures, correct? So if we want to experience the life-giving reality of God's word, first we need to come humbly. But second, we need to approach God's word relationally. It's really interesting when you take a look at Psalm chapter 19 and we look at these descriptive phrases like perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, and righteous altogether. That these words aren't simply definitive of the scripture itself, but they're actually definitive of God. Isn't that true? I mean, these are the types of phrases that we use to describe God himself. Pure, sure, right, perfect, righteous altogether. This is God. You know, we have this interesting um, way of being, I think, when it comes to engaging scriptures. I think many times, especially when I work with my students, that we have a tendency to separate God from his scriptures. So if I'm working with a student and they might come to me and they might say something like, man, you know what, I'm so much into Jesus. Man, I love Jesus. I'll be like, oh, that's awesome. And then I might say to them, hey, you're so into Jesus. I think that's great. So how much time are you spending God's word? And they'll look at me kind of like, mm, I'm not really into God's word so much. I'm just really into Jesus. And I'm like, oh. Oh, I said, that's really fascinating. Because then when I step back and I start to think and I watch, I kind of start asking the question, well, well what Jesus are you into then? <laughs> Because here's what's really funny. When we don't allow God's word to define who Jesus is for us, oftentimes we end up creating a Jesus that looks a lot like us. Have you ever noticed that? Do you know what I mean? Like, like God, the, the reality is, is that we sometimes tend to separate God and his son Jesus from his word, but Jesus doesn't do that, does he? In fact, if you look in the scriptures, Jesus often overlaps the two. In John 5, 39 to 40, he says, you search the scriptures. Sorry, in John 15, 5 and 7, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. We can't disconnect Christ from his word. It is a reflection of who he is. And here's what that means. When we come to his word, we come to see Jesus. It's not just objectively true, but it's relationally meaningful. 
You know, one of the great chastisements that Jesus had of the Pharisees was that when they came to the Scriptures, they didn't come to see Jesus, right? Listen to what he says in John 5. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And what Jesus says is that if we come to the Scriptures, but that's not a way of coming to Jesus, then we actually miss the point. We miss the life. And we know this. We know this, that if we treat the Scriptures as simply a list of do's and don'ts, this does not create freedom. This does not create life. When we simply treat the Scriptures as a list of do's and don'ts, it creates legalism, it creates pride, it creates failure. Ultimately, it creates failure. But when we understand that the Word is Christ, that, that in the Word we see Christ and we meet with Christ and we come, to, we come to Him in this space asking Him to transform and change who we are, then He renews us through His Word. It's not just objectively true, it's also relationally meaningful. So we come to meet with Jesus in His Word. First, we approach it humbly. Second, we approach it relationally. And then third, we approach it expectantly. Listen to, um, listen to what he says about his word here. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Did you hear that? In keeping them, in leaning into them, there is reward, there is life. You know, um, I think for many years, when it comes to our apologetics, we've worked very hard at helping people see and understand God's word is true. And I think that's played a really important work in the advancement of the gospel. But I got to be honest with you. The generation we're working with today, they're not too concerned about answering the question, is God's word true? What they want to do is answer the question, is God's word good? That's the question they want to know. Is he good? Is this where life is? Does this actually restore and renew me? Why would David say that it revives the soul? It brings wisdom. It helps me rejoice. It enlightens my eyes. Why? Because he knew that God's word was not just right. It is objectively true. It is relationally meaningful. And it is life-giving. It is good. And we need to come to the place where we understand that not only is God powerful, not only is he the definer of what is right and wrong, but he is also our lover. And he longs for what is best for us. And he, and he showed that in his work on the cross. So it's true and it's real and he reflects that through his word. He wants us to come and experience his goodness. Now here's the reality. His word can be good for us, but if we don't come expectantly, and if we don't come openly, then it really makes no difference in our lives. And so we have to come believing and trusting that God's word is good. And we say, okay, God, not only do I want to search your scriptures, but could you through your scriptures search me? I'm yours. I'm open. I trust you. I trust you're good. So do your work. 
renew, revive, enlighten, restore. Um, when I was in Lethbridge, we used to do an event called Identity, which was a youth conference that we did at the end of September every year. And, um, and we would bring all of our students to the, to the church. We stayed in RVs overnight. We parked them in the big parking lot. That was great. We didn't have a shower in our church, which was a bit of a bummer, especially when you're working with junior high kids. So we decided to create our own shower. We farmed it. So we put up scaffolding, and we wrapped poly around it, and then we attached hoses into the hot water tank. I'm not sure. Sometimes, you know what, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission, right? So we just, you know, we attached that in there, tossed the hose over the top. And I remember it was Saturday morning. And uh, I got up and I wanted to go grab a quick shower. And one of our other youth pastors, Jeremy, who's a much bigger guy than me, and he always looks a little angry at the best of times, he came as well at the same time. And I remember I came out of my trailer, headed for the shower. Jeremy was headed for the shower. And I looked at Jeremy. I said, morning, Jeremy. He looked at me and went, oh, wokey dokey. So we got to the shower and I said, hey, why don't you go first? So Jeremy went into the shower, he turned it on, I'm standing on the outside, and I just hear him going, oh, this is so great and wonderful, and, and all of a sudden when he comes out of the shower, he is just Mr. Happy Guy, like he's like, good morning, Sid, great to see you, and, and I'm still kind of like trying to get my body working, do you know what I mean? So I'm like, now, now I'm even less happy at this moment, because he's had this beautiful time, he thinks everything's great, I'm waiting. So I jump into the shower as soon as he leaves, and I turn it on, and boom, the water hits me, and I've got to be honest with you, I had had a very different experience than Jeremy did. <laughs> Jeremy enjoyed a wonderful, warm, soothing, relaxing shower. By the time I got in, there was no more wonderful, warm water coming out of that shower. It was only cold, ice cold. And there's very little protection up here. Do you know? So when that hit me, I was like, woo! And I showered up as quick as I could, and I got that thing done, and I jumped out of the shower. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I had a very different experience than Jeremy did. But when my shower was finished, I too was revived. <laughs> I was ready to go. I felt like I had life. Hey, you know what? There are some times when we come to God's word. And when we come to it, it is soothing to our soul. We read promises like, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We read promises that, that his love will endure forever. We read promises that, that say things like he will give us whatever we need to do what he is asking us to do. He will work all things out for good to those who love him. It's soothing and it's beautiful and it revives our soul. And then sometimes we come to God's word and it's, it's sharp. It's sharp and it confronts us, convicts us. It says things like, hey, if, if you don't forgive your brother you will not experience God's forgiveness in the way that you need to experience it. It says things like, hey, you need to love your enemy. You need to pray for those who persecute you. It, it, says, it, it says things like, you know, don't let there be even a hint of sexual immorality in your life. And these are direct and they're cutting and they're right to the very core. And sometimes they're hard to hear, but if... If we will come to Christ in his word and we will acknowledge that it's true and we will acknowledge that this is where we meet with him and we will be convinced of the reality that even if it's hard, it is good and he is loving, then even in those difficult moments, we too are revived. He renews and he revives our soul when we meet with Christ in his word. So how do we come? We come humbly. We acknowledge that we are not the center of reality. 
God is expressed through his word. We come relationally. We realize that these are not simply a list of do's and don'ts, but rather this is an expression of the person of Jesus Christ. We meet with him here. The truth is a person. He's real. We meet with him there. And then finally, we come expectantly because we are convinced that God's way is not just right. It is also good. And so we don't just search the scriptures. We ask God to use the scriptures to search us. And we come humbly surrendered to him and he transforms us and he renews us. Okay, so then really practically, how do we do this? And Mel's going to come up here right away, and we're going to have a bit of a conversation around how do we practically engage Christ in his word? You know, there's a little um, acronym that we use with students. We call it SOAP. And so basically, SOAP stands for four kind of concepts. Number one, it stands for scripture. And so that just reminds us that we begin with the scripture. So, you know, wherever we are coming to meet with Jesus in his word, that's the scripture that we start at. We often, if we're talking with students and we've been at a retreat or a conference, they just want to begin reading God's word. We often begin with like first John or the gospel of John because it speaks so clearly of who Jesus is. And then we always encourage our kids to take a small portion at a time, a few verses, maybe a paragraph. We start with scripture. And then as we read, we move to observation. So we get kids to ask a few questions while they're reading the scriptures. Questions like, what stands out to you as you read that scripture? What does this say about what is good or bad? What does this say about who God is? Because we believe all scripture points to Christ. And so as they're reading, we just have those questions in front of them and they just jot it down. Whatever they see, they jot it down. And we encourage them to read a small passage over and over and over again. And it's really interesting to me. I can read it once and think I've kind of got it. And then if I say I'm committed to 10, by the time I get to time number 10, there's new things that I'm seeing there that I didn't really realize were in place when I first started reading. And so we continue to chew and think and process. So we get into the scriptures, we observe it. And then we move to application. And so then we ask them the question, what is one thing that you could do this week in light of what you just observed in the scriptures? And we always make the application like immediate and practical. What can you do now? What's one step you can take now? And we move ourselves into a place where we actually have a chance to experience God's truth at work in our lives beyond simply that moment. And then finally, we end with, with prayer. And when we pray, I always think about the ACTS acronym, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, uh, Supplication. And here's what I ask my students to do, that while they're reading, in what way does this scripture move you to pray? Does it reveal something about God that you go, man, he's awesome, and so I just spend some time adoring God? Does it move me to a place where there's conviction, and so I go, man, I think I need to confess something in light of this, and I might jot it down as I journal. Does it put me in a place of thanksgiving where I go, thank you so much, Lord, for how you have revealed this in my life or done this work in me or what it tells me about who you are? And then finally, supplication. Maybe it moves me to pray for someone else. It reminds me of something that someone is going through. Or it reminds me, like in Timothy, that I need to pray for my leaders and those in authority. And it moves me into that place. Whatever the case, Scripture should always move us to prayer. And not just move us to prayer, but it should inform how we pray. 
So we've just used the simple little acronym SOAP as a way of helping direct our time and the time of our students when it comes to reading God's Word and then shifting towards prayer. Now I know we as a church here have some other things that we're kind of processing or using as tools. So Mel, why don't you come up and we're going to have a little bit of a conversation around this. How fun is this? You and I get to have this conversation. Love it. Yeah, the beauty, beauty of this is they don't even know which one of us is talking. Because they, <laughs> <laughs> True. So a couple of things. First of all, as you were talking, Sid, I, I jotted down some of the things about, about my own experience. And I, I, I really appreciated, most of all, that the, the most of your time was spent regarding our attitude to God's Word, our, our posture. Because right I think that's that my own experience, that's, that's the number one thing. And it's not so much about the specific structure, although we will have a structure, but the yeah. posture. And I, I thought of when I was a 13-year-old, part of this youth program that was uh, trying to get us into God's Word. And they, they gave us this 30-day challenge of, of working through the Gospel of John, taking notes and praying. <laughs> and I remember um, my, my parents had some vested interest in me uh, doing this thing. Right on. Because uh, they wanted God's Word to get in my heart somehow. Yeah. And, uh, and I still remember sitting on this chair, this kitchen chair, and having to do it. And this is an assignment. And I think I made it through, but that's it. Yeah. When I was a 19-year-old, I decided I really want to get into God's Word. I, I do want yeah. it. And, and so I decided, okay, I'm going to take on the toughest book I can find out. So I, I, I had this, this sort of fear of the prophets, right? Yep. So I read Jeremiah. There you go. <laughs> right there. But what happened to me is I got to Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. Yeah. And, and, and the light came on. It said, your word were found, and I ate them, and your word became for me the joy and, re- and delight of my heart, because I am called by your name, O Lord God Almighty. And, and something happened to me, and I just began to love God's word and, and, and treat Wonderful. it in an a expectant kind of way. So yeah. thank you. That, was, that helped me. Well, so, you know what? I think, Mel, one of the prayers that we should have going into God's word is that he would renew our desires. So mm. you know, God's word does renew our desires, but we should be asking the spirit to renew our desires as we move into yeah. it. And I think, that's a, I think that's a supernatural work of the spirit. Because again, there's nothing in our sinful nature, nor in our cultural ethos that positions us to want to be submitted to Christ in his word. So I think that's actually a supernatural work we need to ask. And by the way, for our kids, we need to pray that God would give that desire to our children and our grandchildren as well. I think Mm -hmm. that's a great prayer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and and the other thing is just in general, uh, one of the things that I've learned is that the, there's only two things that I need from God's word. Number Mm -hmm. one, it's a perspective. Yeah. And you talk about that too. It's from God's word that we get a perspective, not just on ourselves, not just on him, but on the world around us. So number one, is there a perspective here that I need to adopt? Wonderful. That, that will change my view of how to say it. And then a, and then a directive, a yeah. perspective and a directive. Is there something I need to do? Well, and Mel, let me just camp on the perspective piece for a minute. And I think that's really important because sometimes we think that, you know, the issues that we deal with are, are not what were being dealt with when the scriptures were mm. being written. And to some degree, that's actually true. And there are certain things that the scriptures don't address that we deal with today in some ways. But what the scriptures do address is a perspective of how we should deal with the situations, even though specifically they may not be the same. So I I love that. Like when I'm addressing a situation where I can't find scripture specifically speak to it, then I might look at the idea of love your neighbor as yourself and I go, oh, is there a loving way for me to enter into this space? Hmm. You know, so the scriptures are still forming and shaping me. I think that's a really great point. So now let's get down to nitty gritty. Sid Mm -hmm. does a lot of traveling. Uh, is a Christian professional. Mm-hmm. 
how does this work in your life? How, how, do you, how do you engage the scriptures regularly and what challenges do you face in that? that? That's a great question. And I think for many of us, like we travel for work. So I'm not the only one that travels for work. I think one of the challenges, A, finding a consistent time for me. I just know that if I can have a consistent time, um, just by simply engaging that time of day, there becomes a refocusing that happens. Same thing we talked about having a physical space. That's, that's what you do when you enter that space. Entering it can prepare the mind for the moment. Now, when I travel, I, of course, can't have the same space, but I fight for consistent time. So for me, it's like as soon as I get up, that's what I lean into. Having said that, I'm also, I'm kind of over beating myself up for not always being able to stay consistent on that time. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm open to saying, hey, that space isn't working. I'm going to find another space or time when I can do that as well. So that's been my first, my first issue is consistency. And then the second one, of course, is distraction. Like um, more now than ever before, we live in a distracted society. And that's clear. We understand that, especially for our next generation. And so I go through different kind of um, first of all, I'm aware of the distractions that come, so I try to remove them as much as possible. Turn off my phone when I enter that space. Turn off notifications on my computers when I enter that space. And then secondly, I'm trying to lent from certain things that just free up my mind to be more aware. So on my way into Edmonton on Friday, I just know when I finish a retreat, I often watch a movie as a way of relaxing my mind when I'm finished speaking at a conference. And I realized that that was taking up a lot of mental space. And I said, I don't think I want that there. There's something that I want to be aware of that's more healthy, that revives my soul after a weekend. So I called my friend Chris. And Chris always gets nervous when I call him for one of these practices because it means he's getting suckered in to like my journey that I'm on. And I said, uh, Chris, I, I need to have a bit of a discipline for a time. Would you help me with it? And so we're in the space where we're holding each other accountable to remove that type of distraction so that we can have more space to hear. Cool. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, now, one of the things that we talked about that's interesting to me is, uh, and you may not know this about Mel, but of course, most of your life has been as a, as a professional minister, but you also had a season where you were in the workforce as well. And so I'm interested to hear how being, you know, I think many people think of us that this is our job, so of course we have to do this. And in one sense, there's, there's truth to that. But you had a season when this wasn't necessarily part of your job description in particular. So what did it look like for you in those seasons? Well, uh, it's interesting because I've told people, people here occasionally that uh, when I, I left pastoral ministry for a while, mm -hmm. somebody said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, now I'm going to find out if I can be a Christian if I'm not a pastor. <laughs> That's great. And, uh, and, and later on, one of these people came back to me and said, so how was your experiment? And I said, what experiment? And they, said, yeah. they, they reminded me of that. And I said, oh, it's a lot easier when you're not a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> and, and part of the reason was because now I was forced to structure, yeah. and uh, and that was a delight because I I actually found out that I that I actually did love God's word oh, more awesome. than just a, in a professional sense, which I had always thought I did. What it, yeah. But and so it 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 did uh, it did help me. Yeah. Um, I uh, it, it was at that point in time that I started. Like I had always, like this whole journaling thing, I couldn't journal the way in the structures that everybody did, yeah. but I found a way to journal that was mine. Beautiful. And, and it, was, uh, it was beautiful. Yeah. And uh, what else? There's, there was a few other things that I experienced during that time. Mel, I think one of the important things, if you just heard what Mel said, is like we're all wired so uniquely and differently. Mm. And I think it's really great to get lots of ideas and try different practices out that can be helpful yeah. with this. 
and again, not feel tied to one. So I get bored or, dis or distracted easily. So I have about three or four different kind of ways that help me focus when it comes to God's word. And I'll jump through those over a period of time. Yeah. And I'll try to figure out the different rhythms of life at different seasons that allow me to do this mm -hmm. more. I'm going to give one more quick thought on that one, Mel, if I could. There's, we know there's seasons of life in general, correct? So I remember when my boys were like three and... Um, probably three and five. I love doing my morning stuff. I, I went through a season that was so frustrating because my kids wouldn't sleep in at all. So I got up at like seven and my boy right away was right there in front of me. And I was like, oh. So then the next So you morning, slept in is what you're saying. <laughs> correct. So, yeah. so then the next day I thought I would go six and all of a sudden, boom, there's my son at six. I'm trying to read the Bible. There he is at six. So I went to like 5.30 and there he is. I said, God, I can't get up earlier than this. Like, it's just not happening. So you're going to have to either help my kid to sleep or there's going to be a different time of day where I'm going to figure this out. So again, I just think there's different seasons that affect all yeah. of this as well. Yeah, yeah and, and certainly one of the challenges I'm facing at this season yeah. is, um, you know, there comes this age where, <laughs> where you start, where it's not no longer about time management, it's about energy management. Yeah. And tiredness is, is a challenge, and yeah, I'm facing in terms of how I, yeah, that's one of the challenges, and, and certainly the, the news feed on your phone thing. Oh. Uh, yeah, we had talked about that. That's something yeah. for you, right? Like, you like yeah. to head that direction a little bit. Yeah. So, one of the things that I'm committing myself to in this time, I'll do it publicly, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to see my, look at my news feed until I've re read oh. the word. And, and, uh, Excellent. Yeah. You know, the, the percentages of people that the first thing they reach for when they wake up is their cell phone is really high. In fact, yeah. we would say it's yeah. somewhere between 75% or higher. And one of the neat commitments on a season like this might be just to say, hey, before I touch my phone, I'm going to touch my Bible. Do you know what I mean? And that mm -hmm. might be a neat practice that can just help create that space for you in the morning too. I love yeah. that. Cool. You know, I, I would love talking about this more. One of the reasons I wanted to do this with you is because I, I want us all to be doing this with each other and, uh, and just finding creative ways to engage God's Word. It's, it's uh, and you know, I, I don't know. Have you ever read through the Bible in a year? I have, yep. <laughs> I had that one moment that was really good. You, you know, know, you do you know how many time. times I've tried? I can't yeah, do it. I know. Because I, I just get to this place and I... I, I read this passage, and I want to read it again, and want to read it again, and uh, I mean, I, I engage all of God's Word, but I've never been able to do it through in a year, and for me, that's just a, yeah. a shitty way of, you know, uh, I can't get God's Word into me if I'm yeah. just, but... And that's okay. And yeah. I think, again, it speaks really well, Mel, that there's different ways that we engage the Scriptures in different types of practices yeah. Yeah. for different people. That's okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. talk to Dave, our, our associate yeah. pastor. He does it every year. That's yeah. like amazing. But uh, yeah, I don't have that good. discipline either. I yeah. got to be honest with you. Yeah, okay. That's great. So, awesome. uh, Sid, thank you. Let me just uh, highlight a few more things as we go into uh, a time of uh, announcements and stuff uh, for renew. Keep this on. Keep it on for a little bit. Um, if you, uh, uh, one of the things we talked about, the core is, is Bible reading and prayer. If you're going to spend 15 minutes, those two things, prayer, reading the Bible. As you go into this, one of the things you're going to experience is, wow, I, I'd like to memorize certain pieces of God's Word. And, uh, you know, don't make the goal just memory. Uh, if there's something that hits you, say, i got a, it, this whole thing of perspectives. Uh, I know several people talked to me last week. That Psalm 16:8 we talked about last week. They're going to claim that verse, memorize it, and live it. That's good. Find ways to to make God's word part of your thinking. 
Uh, journaling, great practice, uh, not, a, not a rigid rule, but if you could find a way to journal. And the other thing we are going to push into a little bit is this whole business of doing it together. Not necessarily meeting together to read God's word, but forming partnerships, saying, hey, let's help each other on this journey. Uh, the, the, the concept is what's called a triad, three to five people connecting together, uh, even if it's in a conference call once a week or meeting together once a month to talk about it. If you would like to, to engage somebody on that, talk to them. Uh, get two or three. It, it works best with three, just in case one can't be there and you get alternate perspectives. Uh, do that. Also, if you want to, uh, there's an uh, email, uh, basecamp at erbc.ca, and, and we will help you find a partner if you want one.